You're now experiencing data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Hey everyone, welcome back. Time for experiencing data again. And today I have Gunnis Kasari on the line. Uh, Gunnis is the co-founder and head of analytics at Graminer, which is a consulting firm based part in India, but also in New Jersey. Is that right, Gunnis? Uh, that's right, Brian. Hey, cool. Hi. How's it going? Doing, doing good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. And are, are you guys in other places besides uh, New Jersey and India? <laughs> we are in Singapore, Aspas, so that's the third geography. In Sing- okay, got it. So you guys are all over the world spreading the analytics and data science love around the planet. So you, <laughs> you guys are a consulting firm, correct? You, you help companies with uh, analytics and data science projects, products, solutions, correct? Uh, that's right, yeah. We primarily focus on insights and stories. So uh-huh. identifying insights using machine learning um, analytics and converting them into engaging data stories by using information design and uh, the concept of storytelling. Got it, got it. So you're, if I read your background correctly, uh, you have an MBA and you're an, you're an engineer by training, uh, but you're, you're working in a company that like blends design, storytelling, and then obviously the data side, the, the AI analytics work. So how did that come to be? Okay, that's a great question. So I've been an engineer by training, by profession. And once uh, we started uh, Grammar about 10 years back, so by the way, this is our 10th year anniversary uh, next year. And um, so when we uh, started Grammar, the focus was more on consumption of uh, data. And that's where we saw the biggest gap in the market was. People were already comfortable with looking at data and early stages of analysis, but whatever analysis was done, they had trouble in taking decisions with it or even understanding it. Um, So that's what we wanted to focus on. And when you talk about consumption of data, then design and understanding the user is part of it. So uh, as part of the journey, we kind of trained ourselves on information design, uh, user design, user experience design. And at some point I was, I set up the design team for Grammar and I was heading it. So uh, engineer by profession, but I was leading design. So for a couple of years before I handed over to uh, one of the other co-founders, but uh, so that's how I got into design. And I've been very passionate about addressing this challenge of business and how to bring in data to provide some solutions. So that way I've I've seen these twin objectives of insights and communicating uh, using design as very powerful and and empowering when we talk to users. So so that way we uh, trained ourselves and uh, we see that the reception is good when we take this approach. Got it, got it. So I'm gonna make a broad generalization here. I mean, I have talked to a lot of people in your shoes that are running firms like this, but my general perception is that most most data science and analytics firms don't think about design as a core competency or part of analytics and data science, at least not beyond perhaps data visualization, like the most, the, the kind of, as I call them altitudes, it's kind of the lowest altitude surface level. Mm-hmm. So is there something that prompted you guys to feel like, hey, this is actually 
this isn't like an extra thing that you glom on at the end. It's actually like part of the core of the service that we provide and that customers actually really value. They, they actually get a lot more value out of the technical work we do because it's presented properly. Like, was there a light bulb moment here that happened or it's not <laughs> nat your, your situation is abnormal to me and may, maybe I'm wrong about that, but just in my experience, it's an abnormality uh, to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, not many organizations who focus on analytics combine visualization or um, this form of thinking. So we we did have a light bulb moment. We initially started off with energy analytics uh, very, very early days. And so we had come up with algorithms uh, to work on uh, energy consumption and analytics in that space. Uh, what we found was while the analytics was good, it was it didn't work as as much. And when we looked at why people were not able to uh, connect to it, that's when we stumbled upon the, the data consumption visualization. And then eventually when we spoke to some people and said that, is this a, really a problem for you? A lot of people uh, immediately responded. And that was actually a pivoting moment for Gramna when we moved away from uh, the, the energy analytics start. And then we moved fully into visualization and analytics very closely tied to that. Got it. And so do you have clients that come to you that want to pull this apart and say, well, we don't really need that. We just need a predictive model for X. Can you build us an AI for that? But we don't really need the that design stuff. Like, <laughs> do you ever get people trying <laughs> to kind of cherry pick out your process? And, you know, they want they don't want you to prescribe what's necessary. They want to tell you what they need. <laughs> Do you have to go through that sometimes? Interestingly, there are some cases, but the large majority when clients come to us, they want to do something with data. So they are very broad, vague statements saying we want to get started with our data science journey or we're having a problem with our sales function and we want to use data to solve it. So, so that's where a majority of clients come to us, those kind of problems. And with that, we have the full flexibility on starting with a consulting exercise, identifying and then going the, the full hog. The, the other scenario, like you mentioned, there are clients who think that they already are doing enough of, say, Tableau or other tools, visualizations, and they think they have in-house capabilities. And in some cases where they are lacking only the machine learning or they need to uh, expedite their AI, the, the build phase, uh, there are some clients who come to us and specifically ask for uh, analytics. That, uh, But I would say that's a minority, but there are organizations who... Uh, who have the, those needs as well, and vice versa. There are clients who also come and say that we have an in-house team of data scientists. They're very good in statistics. Can you help us only with uh, design? Because that's one area where we are lacking and we see a lot of good solutions uh, on your website. So minority, both these cases, but they do happen. Got it. So so are, are the reason those people pick up the phone is because, you know, you said they have talented technical teams in-house, but are they are the symptoms like you know, no one's using our stuff. Like we've spent all this time building, you know, some product or output or, you know, tool or whatever it may be a model for something and it's not getting used or it's not understood or what, like what's the symptom that makes them feel they need your, your help with, especially on the design side. Mm -hmm. uh, so people, when they have some in-house analytics capability, if they're reaching out for design, then um, uh, uh, it's more of what you're saying, Brian, so, uh, where people, feel that the adoption hasn't happened. They have built algorithms, but no one understands or uses them. And then they try 
to uh, buy some some uh, licensed version of some exploratory visualization tools and they try their hand at it and they figure out that it probably needs a lot more than some cute charts or some dashboards at the front. It can't be an afterthought. And that's when they reach out and say, can you help us connect to the users? Can you help, uh, help, help us bring the users to our solution? Is there some other way that we can present and kind of build a workflow? So in those cases, yes, that is one of the strong motives when people finally realize that analytics alone isn't sufficient. Yeah. And is that, mm-hmm. and typically are they, do you interface with their, this business stakeholder or it, is it more the technical team that's not seeing, they're not getting the results, they're not delivering the results the business is expecting. And so they're trying to, you know, raise, raise the quality of their work, or is it more of a business person saying, man, our data science, we have these PhDs and they're really smart, but we don't understand. <laughs> like, how, how does it come into you guys? Like, and how do you pull that together? If it's, if the answer is both audiences, then are you pulling these groups together? And, and how does that work? Interestingly, a, a few years back, if I talk about five, six years back, a lot of those inquiries used to come from the business teams, where uh, IT and broadly the, the technology teams at, at that time, I don't think we had much of the CDO role. Uh, it was either IT or the business, and it was more mostly from the business side where they used to reach out to us and say that we uh, we have a hard time getting what we want from our technology department. Right. So can you build this specifically for us? And it can be only for the business unit. So that used to happen a lot. And off late with a data wave and uh, this pretty much impacting every organization, every department, organizations have set up the the chief data office role and they have several functions around data. So now a lot more inquiries and a lot more engagements are happening centrally at the enterprise level where they have realized the need for data science and uh, they want to run it centrally. So uh, it's no longer isolated silos. We are seeing uh, a combination, but increasingly more uh, at the organization level and from technology organizations as well. And so are, is the the gap between the business and the data science and analytics organizations getting smaller in your opinion then as well? Is that what, is that what you're saying? Yes. I, I see uh, early stages in, in conversations compared to say uh, the difference is relative about five, six years back to now, there is definitely more conversations happening. The gap is smaller, at least in some of the mature organizations who made early starts. But uh, if you look at the, the industry as a whole, there's still a lot of ground to cover. But for those who have started, I see a difference. And do you think the organizations that have a lot of ground to cover, do you think everybody in that space has to go through like a maturation process? Like you got to feel the pain, you got to spend a bunch of time building bad stuff, and then eventually you'll get tired of it or you know, your business colleagues will get tired of not getting what they want and then the light bulb goes on? Or do you think the journey is going to be like, is culturally there's something changing like at a broader level in terms of awareness about the importance of this? Or do you think it's still like a, it's like a passage you have to go through? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think it is more broader now. Yeah. Maybe part, uh, part of the hype around AI where people uh, suddenly have started, started talking about some of the cool stuff, how, how much value it actually delivers to the organization is still under question. There are, a subset of organizations who have been able to manage and use it well. But uh, thanks to some of those, uh, the broader movement earlier, it was big data and now AI and some of these buzzwords uh, are uh, prompting organizations to 
to put in money and also there are organizations who are genuinely who have seen some differentiation by adopting data so when they uh, when there are some some leaders who have been able to achieve it in the market so naturally the uh, there are others who want to emulate and i see that this is a slightly broader movement where people are understanding the value of data and they they see that it is something that they can't avoid or they can't prioritize it lower anymore so i think it is um, starting to uh, so that that's where i see that when i mentioned that enterprise wide and technology organizations are taking it up which means that it is a mandate given to them and there is a budget being allocated there so uh, mm-hmm. it's it's more of that kind of a case got it got it do you feel like i, I my perception in fact there was a i was in a linkedin conversation today about this and and some comments that tom davenport had made on the show a couple of episodes ago and one of them was and he was talking very much about how this we need this type of role of a person that goes out and understands how data is used and how systems and software are used such that they we can better align the solutions with what people are doing and i was like amen like and by the way <laughs> that that role has existed for about 10 to 20 years in the digital native space you know usually this yep. the realm of product design and then underneath that you might have right. designers and ux designers and design researchers and usability engineering there's all these kind of subdomains there my general feeling is that it's almost like the the data world hasn't isn't even aware of this and like another thing is this this analytics translator role which in my understanding i haven't had a lot of direct uh, relation to it but just in my research and study of it that's also recreating the wheel of what is known as a technical product manager in a software company yep. And the irony here being that it feels like a lot of the non-digital native companies are worried about the digital native companies, yet they're not picking up the practices of the digital native companies, such as they've already yeah. solved these problems. There's already people trained in this. Like, you can't hire an analytics translator. Well, maybe you should change the job title to data product manager because there's a lot of great product managers out there. And it's like <laughs> reinventing the wheel. And then you've got to go through that entire journey and skill set. And it, it just... Either that or I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe I'm like this outsider with this weird perception. But do you see this as well at all? Like like some of this exists already. We can learn from what you know other industries have done and our competitors. And there's a way to fast forward a little bit here. Or I, I don't know. What is your, <laughs> what's your opinion? Yeah. yeah. And, and firstly, uh, I, I loved your the, the podcast with uh, uh, Tom Davenport. Oh, thank you. Uh, I listened to it. And yeah, it was good stuff. And um, I... I've read a lot of uh, Tom's articles and some of his books, so so that way a lot of the stuff he mentioned, stuff I, I completely relate to and I and I would totally watch for it. And coming to your question, that's a great point, and that's something which I've been telling people that we don't have to redo all of the stuff. There's a lot of similarity between the say how technology adoption or in terms of technology of say ten years back, um, like you're saying, digital natives. So there are a lot of similarities, whether it is a data product manager or technical manager role, or it is in terms of change management and how do you make sure that innovation in technology, earlier it could have been ERP or any of these other systems, how they can get implemented organization-wide. How do you get people onto emails? How do you get people onto some of those, uh, the technology solutions? So there's a lot to learn. We don't have to uh, redo all of this. So I completely agree. And if you look at some of those concepts, titles, and frameworks, they are being repackaged. There is 
some adaptation needed for the data world without doubt because when you talk about volumes and in terms of the speed of operation there are certain things you'll have to um, you'll have to account for and adapt it to but the broadly if you look at the concept and the intent there's a lot of similarity so uh, there's a lot to learn from so you're not alone on that uh, <laughs> that's that that's my view too yeah yeah it's <laughs> i appreciate that cuz i was thought it's like sometimes I'm like man i just Am I like on Mars here? Like I don't understand. Like, <laughs> but it's good to know. And and I understand. You know, every place has its own. It's just like talking about agile or software development. Every client I've ever gone to, the first thing they tell. I mean, they want to talk about process, and I, and I'm not a process person, but oh, we're using agile, but it's not like traditional agile. It's this other thing. I'm like, guess what? That's normal, and everyone is using their version of it, and it's. Really, really, what's important there is—is is there any agility happening, regardless of the process you're using? The the spirit and the intent of that is what's important, and and it's natural, I think, to to adjust these things to your culture and and you know the the speed at which you can move and like you know, how much risk is involved in the work you're doing. There's a lot of different factors there, so I yep. think that's natural right. to custom, yeah. you know, to yeah. To, and yeah, you know, so since you do a lot of the consulting and helping organizations with the use cases or getting started. Uh, so when you explain these processes and show them how to get started, and have you heard feedback that hey, by the way, this is very familiar to what we did for our digital initiative? Have have people come back with that feedback? No, I mean most of the time, the the work the work that I'm doing with clients, for most of them, it tends to be places that I would say are 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 not mature in their design capacity. Mm -hmm. So it usually comes across like. They've never done this before. Uh, they understand the value okay. once they've mm -hmm. participated in, in in the in the journey and going through it. They start to understand why we do it, but it's not it's not obvious and it's not normal to them. I would say it's it's typically new, and that's partly probably why they're calling, right? Is because the the way we're doing it now is not working. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. you know. So, okay. but I, you know, I'm I'm one one data point there as well. So, okay, got it. Looking back, like, you know, you've been at Gramner, for, did you say 10 years now? Is that right? Yeah. That's Coming right. up on 10. Like, is there something, yeah. is there like one main thing that you would, would change about your, your, either the service offerings or your approach or anything like having, having 10 years of experience now, and you've lived through all the buzzword changes for our market from, you know, BI <laughs> to big data. And it's like, whatever right. the hype change your quick, change the marketing, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, let's you, change the terms. For the right. next two years, we need to run a new campaign. Right. What, is there something you would change? You mean at Gramner, the way we've approached things? Yeah, like either uh, skill sets, or I, I would have hired more of these people. I would have built a team to do this. I would have, I don't know, just something that you're like, okay. mm -hmm. well, we're stuck here. It was a learning moment. Wouldn't have done that that way <laughs> if I had okay. another chance. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, we always have areas of improvement, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. So one thing I would say is I uh, we've seen a lot of similarity across these problems. So while uh, we have done uh, a few hundred consulting engagements and helped with this uh, bespoke solutions, there is still an element of commonality. So that's where we abstracted some of those the common uh, technology requirements and common solutions into a platform which we use as an accelerator. So when clients come to us, we are able to, we don't have to start from, from scratch. We are able to use that and quickly we have certain say libraries of modules and certain ways of doing analysis. So all of those are abstracted to some extent in the platform. So that helps us to 
to deliver solutions quicker and reuse stuff. What I think would also be useful is across industries, there is, uh, when, you talk, when you talk about even domain solutions uh, within an industry, let's say banking, uh, there's a lot of commonality across organizations. And in certain use cases, if you're talking about retail banking, or if you're talking about investment banking, there are there's a good scope for coming up with deep data science solutions, which are verticalized and which address certain repeatable workflows where uh, we can take the, the, the notch of reusability or out-of-the-box solutions even higher. So that, I think, is we could have probably focused a little bit more uh, because earlier when we started, we were looking at every problem to be unique. And then over time, we've seen the, the commonality. So maybe if we can uh, look at a specific domain use case or a specific solution, that might have uh, been useful for a lot more clients where usually there is the, the time to market question, even if it is, say, one month as opposed to, say, six months to take something to market. Not everyone might have a uh, might have that one month. So if you have something out of the box, which is it may be customizable within a week, uh, that's probably more powerful for clients, and it's a better offering and something which is even more compelling to offer as an organization. So I think identifying that mix, the product roadmap, the, the product mix, uh, would have been uh, would have been even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I not to pull our podcast into like consulting talk or whatever, but I, I would tend to agree with that. I've, I've also tried to come up with more reusable recipes for the work that, that I do, especially when there's repeated work so that I'm, you know, by me having, you know, by you and I each having our own processes, we can accelerate and anticipate uh, some of the work that, you know, that's needed to help our clients uh, move more quickly. Right. And I used to be as a designer, it's like, oh, wait, you can't, you can't productize that. You can't, systematize that and I've really changed my own perception about there's definitely like a process by which I go through I just hadn't really written it down and and followed it and it really helps accelerate certain things and and so anyhow I, I I'm with you there uh, <laughs> yeah so you, that, you're also a perfect intersection of design and engineer so yeah <laughs> I think we tend to agree on a lot of things no one you would not want to see my code I wrote some code the other day for my website oh man it's like I even know it's bad though. So at least I'm, I'm that aware that I can look at it and say, that is not how one should do that. And it's good that no one's paying me to do this anymore. <laughs> I'll call yeah. you guys if I need code. <laughs> um, that, yeah. This actually though, like kind of sort of ties into my next question. So we talked about data storytelling out here. And, and, and so when I hear this, I, I always think there's, there's kind of this branch point, right? There's, it's one thing to do storytelling in the format of, hey, we did this project and it was an analysis and there's going to be a report and then we'll have some kind of readout about what we learned. And it's, it's generally static. You know, maybe there's a PowerPoint or a write-up or something. And it's very controllable from a, from a design and delivery process. You can really control the story. On the other branch is software, right? When you're building a data product where the storytelling is more likely implicit, right? In the in the interface, in the experience that has been designed, the story is implicit. And to me, that's a bigger challenge. And I was curious, A, do you see that that way? That there's like, you're, you're trying to bury the storytelling into the experience of using an application? And and how do you, do you approach that differently than you do when you're creating an, an ad hoc, like a one-time kind of story and report? Like, how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah. 
Uh, if I understand the question right, you're talking about two scenarios. One is where uh, an ad hoc story you create one time, so you have more flexibility in terms of uh, how the narrative flows, the kind of uh, the the cues, the visuals, and the interactivity yeah. you yeah. use, versus something which you create as a repeatable one, which refreshes with data and it is probably used for a few months, uh, if not a few years. Yeah, like a living app, like you know, a tool for the right. sales team or something, right? And it's like. Mm-hmm. This is a living application or it's integrated yeah. in the CRM or whatever. It's, you know, there's no, there's no literal storytelling. I mean, I suppose you probably could design that into the experience, but you probably wouldn't for a number of reasons. But the, some of the themes are the same, right? There's like a conclusion, you know, typically, at least in my work, I'm always trying to help clients surface conclusions and or opinions from the data first and then gradually exposing more detail and evidence to back those up as needed, but not leading with evidence. And then asking the customer to put together the, what's the conclusion from this? Like, what is my action that I'm supposed to take here? And I was just curious if you got, if you guys have a, how do you think about that? Cause we can't, we obviously can't do a custom hand, handheld story, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a dynamic system like that. So are they two different things? Maybe they're not storytelling. They're just two separate things. But I was just curious if you even think about them that way. And So that's a bulk of what we do. When you talk about storytelling and the information design, the, the visual part of it, that's closer to what we do because organizations approach us when they want something repeatable, not some ad hoc report, which they can quickly pull up with some, some of these self-service uh, data discovery tools. Mm-hmm. But if they want something, uh, let's take the example of, say, the sales function, and they say that I want to enable my frontline sales team to identify the right clients and basically sell better. So mm-hmm. how do I come up with a visual narrative which people can use to answer those questions, the common questions? Mm-hmm. So there, uh, we create a repeatable flow. So the way we approach it is look at uh, the user study requirements and very similar to the, the user-centered design principles. Start with that, find out what scenarios they would want to use the application, what kind of information they want. So once we do that, the persona, the identification of the requirements and all of it. So the, the way we can build the story into this or can say the workflow into it is where, where do they need to start? What are some of the starting point scenarios and uh, how you customize it to the role or to the role so with that if we define a sequence of views for for example they start with a summary saying this is how today looks and then they get into answering specific questions that which customers should i target uh, today so then that gets into a more customer specific view maybe it pulls in results from a recommendation engine and presents the results and then uh, the next question is assuming I've identified the salesperson has started with the, the day's summary. They have looked at which customers to target and now they want to go into one or two customers before they make that final call. So then uh, it gets into a customer deep dive view where it talks about the, the complete relationship of the organization with this single client and what have they sold in the past, what is the status of the relationship, what did they buy and what are they likely to buy if you can bring in all of those analytics and present the view. So here, what I'm trying to get to is uh, there is a natural workflow, a certain set of questions. And if we can identify the the way that uh, we want to help them and what is the process that they would follow or the workflow that they should adopt, then we will be able to come up with views which are standard, which can be, uh, uh, which are, which can be used repeatedly. And at the same time, they are not disparate dashboards saying this is a customer view 
and then you go to this tab which has a different one because people don't tend to use applications or technology that way so if you embed all of this together it becomes a natural customized uh, application for that role for that individual and so that's the combination of storytelling for an individual uh, you come you bring in all other aspects of data science so this is definitely different from an ad hoc one time story where you have even greater power where you can you already know the conclusion you just start with the conclusion and maybe you you would go even more specific so whereas when we are looking at a repeatable uh, repeatable one so the, there is there are some elements of storytelling you will bring in but given that the data is likely to change the scenarios will be different tomorrow there are certain broad elements you bring in and then you devise that workflow and uh, bring in only those elements and those interactivity so so that's the difference yes no i i i understand what you said and and one thing i i think i would re- reiterate here is that as you kind of you know so you used this this a uh, sales decision support uh, type of example here to make the point is that ultimately the core data science part there is an ingredient in this cake that you just built out <laughs> you just spelled out how That's to right. bake a cake right but that right. might just be the flour and it might be the most important part arguably the most where the best ip is which is the you know the recommendation of which customers to call but that's not that's not an experience and that may not be what actually gets the salesperson to pick up the phone like in your case maybe they need to dive into the CRM and they need a link to the CRM to go look at past behavior and other stuff that maybe that's already there it's already in the CRM or it's already in some other BI tool but it's that linkage from the recommendation you gave to something that is part of their natural workflow which is i'm never going to just call a client even if you give me like hey we have an 82% predictive you know probability that this mm-hmm. person will buy something here's the phone number and they're like there's no freaking way i'm calling that guy without going and seeing when did right. we talk to him last what did he buy last what's the sentiment like there's all these other things that are part of that sales guy's journey before he actually dials a phone number and so you can get all the data science part right but understanding that having empathy for that person's job this man or woman or whoever it is that's doing the sale the selling they have a workflow that they want to go through and i think that's that's what i like that you spelled out here is that you can nail the data science part but there's this other there's the whole workflow that you want to support whether you're you know whether you do that work or not you should at least acknowledge that that may be a linchpin in getting someone to use your your software or your application or your model or whatever there's more to it than just the data science piece i don't know did i did, right, think, yeah. did i summarize that <laughs> uh, so the one part i think just to clarify uh, in addition to the say the data science or the algorithm piece the flow which i explained i was uh, talking about talking through a visualization uh, driven flow where a person mm-hmm. is uh, going through this workflow as uh, imagine a visual application that's how usually we work with our client we deliver all of this as an interactive user interface Mm-hmm. it can be embedded onto the crm which they use for instance if it is salesforce or any, or any other crm where the workflow is built into that instead of looking at a set of tables or separate screens all of these are visual dashboards with interactivity built in and the mm-hmm. algorithm outputs are also naturally embedded as part of it. sure and and I, my my point isn't so much about how many screens or artifacts there are or which system they live in the the point was that it sounds like your approach here is to design a solution around the activities right. yes. that a salesperson does 
ideally okay. delighting them, at least meeting the requirement, but ideally maybe you find a way to actually delight them with an experience they didn't maybe even know is possible. And you know, analytics and data can help us do that. It can also make it harder. Right. It can also make it worse yeah. sometimes when we, we shovel too much irrelevant information at the wrong time. So yeah, so I, I, I get what you're saying there. Do you involve design in the design of your, uh, so the algorithm design, right? So when you're working on mm -hmm. advanced analytics and, and predictive modeling and things like this, do you have your designers involved with like thinking about who these customers are and then helping with the data collection in terms of like, what is the right data? And should we be factoring this data in? And why aren't we factoring in X, Y, and Z as well if we're going to build a model on this? Because hey, we've talked to these people and this is clearly a part of their decision-making. Do you ever get them involved in that side where they're working with the data science group, really up, kind of upstream? Yes, yeah. Always we do the dis data discovery phase before we get into the solution building. Uh -huh. um, so uh, we start off usually with uh, understanding of the business problem, the challenges uh, that the stakeholders are facing. And soon after we, we dive into the data saying, if these are the problems, these are the questions we want answered, what data do you have at hand already? So we do a data landscape study to find out what internal data do you already have. And there we suggest that these, maybe you don't have those data already, but you need to collect these in the future. They become future data engineering projects. It could come in say a couple of months down the line, but this is useful to answer an important business question. So that is a, a useful subproduct from the discussion. Mm -hmm. And apart from that, there could be some other external sources which organizations aren't aware of. So uh, we uh, always come across cases where, for example, if you're running a, digit a digital marketing initiative, there's a lot of public streams available from Google and from other sources where you can scrape or connect to an API and pull out, which most organizations are not aware of. So identifying internal, external data sources, understanding the landscape, and finding out what use we can put the data to is something which we get involved in. Uh, because it's, uh, to really solve the problem and to solve it in an effective way, there could be a lot of ways to the, to the to the final objective. So data discovery is very much a part of it. So we have the team involved and at times we have active discussions with the business stakeholders. Because often within organizations, the business users have no clue about what data is available. That's probably the technology, the IT team's uh, domain. And when right. we have a common discussion, bringing both of them together and say that this is, uh, this is your problem, this is the data we need to solve it and then have a, a mutual conversation. So that's when they also start asking questions in terms of how can, how can we use this better. So that we find is, is very useful to come up with the, the corrective and a powerful solution. Got it, got it. I have one last question here as we get kind of towards the hour here. And this has been great, mm -hmm. by the way. I, I think really glad to have you on the show here to share some of these thoughts. How do you help when, when you bring these uh, clients uh, in, especially on the business side, there it seems like today companies, especially on the business and product side, need help identifying the right types of data science projects. So it's it's the coming in the door, wanting to do machine learning or AI, not really knowing what that is or where it's applicable, and then you kind of have to unpack that, right, and get it back to a problem, and then work it forward. How do you go about doing that? Like, or do, do, that's an assumption. There, are you actually having this? Do you see this problem coming in the door? And then, do you guys have a process that you use to help clients actually figure out is there a reason to use this tool or not? And here's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that that is usually the first conversation we have. And what we see in the industry is people usually uh, wherever they have 
say uh, internal data science teams or some capability some people hired say some data scientists hired the problem we see is that they find something interesting and they go after that and they may not really solve a business challenge uh, for example there is open ai uh, if you heard of the gpt2 the text generating algorithm uh, so that can write almost as well as a journalist so someone a data scientist who comes across this and that is uh, that has been made public along with the training data and and all of the parameters so it's, uh, you can pick that up and then use it to say create newsletters for your clients write internal uh, stuff for your employees but is is that really important for the organization maybe not so that's where when clients approaches we do not go with what is interesting or what is even urgent to some individuals but we try and find out what is the biggest business problem to be solved where where can the organization get the maximum impact in terms of revenue or cost saving uh, we help the organizations identify that and that becomes a potential project we identify actually a list of such initiatives and do a discussion along with the the senior folks in the room executives are needed for this discussion to identify and prioritize which projects they should take right now 3 months or 6 months down the line we help them build a data science roadmap by looking at factors such as business impact the the urgency and in terms of say feasibility do you have the data do you have the uh, the budget and technology for it a combination of these factors to pick the right projects and build a roadmap that's something we always do for our clients excellent i love it <laughs> and i think that's i i like you. that you uh, align that to you know the the business objectives that are happening there and and not necessarily just backing it out of where do we have some data okay throw a hammer at that you know because yeah. you can again create a solution to no one's problem and at that point we're back to rehearsals again it's like oh neither nice rehearsal <laughs> no performance though like <laughs> i don't know using <laughs> music analogy there it's like some point yeah. you got to go to the gig and and play a concert and like <laughs> people are paying money to go see it so it's got to produce something you know <laughs> yeah enough of um, enough of pilot let's productionize something yeah exactly exactly cool well thanks for coming on the show uh do you have any final takeaways that you would like to share with the audience it's been it's been great having you and this again it's gunis sorry from grammar but any any final words yeah uh, sure uh, yeah thanks for having me brian um, i would emphasize that Uh, since there's a lot of attention and investment going into data uh, if all of the practitioners and people who are interested in starting projects look at the right projects to get started which are the most uh, impactful ones and also making sure that we focus on the user aspects adoption to make sure that uh, not just the data science team or the stakeholders but everyone uh, the final users can also benefit from it and adopt it seamlessly so that needs a concerted effort and that needs to be planned up front so that's been our learning by what you're doing all these consulting engagements over the past decade so i hope there were some takeaways from there and thanks again for having me brian it's a pleasure talking to you yeah it's been super fun and just a uh, last thing here where can where can people follow you is it uh, grammar.com what's the the url yes. uh, yeah the url is grammar.com g r a m e n e r.com and i'm active on linkedin and uh, twitter as well so uh, do reach out to me and happy to awesome. answer any what's questions your, yeah great great i will definitely put your what's your twitter handle uh, it's kesari tweets k3 tweets k yeah k e s a r i tweets awesome cool i will uh, put those in the show links and uh, again sure. thanks for coming on the show it's been super fun we hope you enjoyed this episode of experiencing data with brian o'neil 
If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag experiencingdata. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.